feelings. Jeez. The truth is, for so long, I'd forgotten what those even were. I've been stuck in one place. In a cave, you might say. A deep, dark cave. And then I left some egos out in the woods, and you came into my life. And for the first time in a long time, I started to feel things again. I started to feel happy. But lately, I guess I've been feeling distant from you, like you're pulling away from me or something. I miss playing board games every night, making triple-decker ego extravaganzas at sunrise, watching westerns together before we doze off. But I know you're getting older and growing and changing. And I guess, if I'm being really honest, that's what scares me. I don't want things to change. So I think maybe that's why I came here, to try to maybe stop that change, to turn back the clock, to make things back to how they were. So you know what? That's naive. It's just not how life works. It's moving, always moving, whether you like it or not. And yes, yeah, sometimes it's painful, sometimes it's sad, and sometimes it's surprising, happy. But keep on growing up, kid. Don't let me stop you. Make mistakes, learn from them. And when life hurts you, because it will, remember the hurt. The hurt is good. It means that you're out of that cave. But please, if you don't mind, for the sake of your poor old dad, Keep the door open at least three inches. Listeners, you're in for a treat today because today we are here with actor Kaiser Johnson to talk about Stranger Things. Welcome to Pop Culture Catechism, conversations about music, movies, and the longings of the human heart. Let's get started. Are you cool or are you a nerd? Which would you rather be? Which gets you more friends? Let me ask you this, which gets you better friends? What even makes for a good or a true friendship? And what about when romance gets in the way of that friendship? What about when friendships are disrupted by evil monsters from a parallel universe and it's all happening in the 80s? Today we're talking about Stranger Things, Netflix's biggest show of all times, and season four is coming out in two volumes this summer in May and July, and here we are talking with Kaiser Johnson, who was an actor in season three. He had a, a small but conspicuous and memorable role as a jazzercise instructor who turned out to be more than meets the eye. He's also an actor, and we're very excited to have him here with us. My name is Mike Tenney. I'm a Catholic speaker and worship leader from Washington, D.C. I spent over a decade in teaching Catholic high school education, in uh, teaching theology, and also trying to make it big as a rock star at night. And now I'm blessed to speak with thousands of people each year through various events and through Pop Culture Catechism, this show. This is Pop Culture Catechism. It is the gospel according to pop music and movies, where we try to find God's love in the media that you're plugged into. So then after this show, when we unplug and take our earbuds out and turn our phones off, that we can go out into the world and actually live that love. Special thank you to our patrons who make this show possible through the popculturecatechism.com and the Awaken app. And our goal for you today is by the end of this episode, not only will you have a greater appreciation for Stranger Things, but you'll also have some ways in your life that you can love God and know God's love for you and love other people as well. I am happy to introduce to the show today actor and author of Grit and Glory and How to Be Miserable Alone. He writes for our Sunday Visitor and Catholic Digest, Kaiser Johnson. Kaiser, welcome to the show. 
Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. I'm very happy that you're here. So Kaiser, I, I told the people a little bit about your about you, but uh, tell them who are you. Um, so I'm a Catholic uh, dad, um, husband, and uh, I happen to do um, acting and voiceover um, to pay the bills, and uh, it's something that um, has been that that I've been uh, really blessed to be able to do and to feel called to, to a certain extent, it, you know, for the last, um, longer than I'd like to admit. Uh, so, <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, so it's, that's, that's kind of a, a, a quick and dirty about me. I like, mm -hmm. I like reading. I like, uh, walks by the beach. Um, I, uh, like writing too. And, awesome. um, so yeah. And you have, a, you have a new book out right now, right? What's that? You have a new book that just came out. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, how to be miserable and alone is the unfortunately true story of uh, uh, it's unfortunately a nonfiction book about um, uh, my life and all the places that I've taken um, the advice of of uh, w really well intentioned um, uh, people and uh, and media and uh, and you know worldly advice and um, ignored um, the the great uh, treasure of, of the advice of, uh, of saints in the church and how that's turned out for me. So that's, mm -hmm. um, and then it also tells parts of the story about when things have gone really well, when I've, um, not listened to bad advice. And to bad advice. <laughs> awesome. Very good. Well, so, um, I remember watching, so Stranger Things has like a special place in uh, my heart. And listeners, if you don't know what Stranger Things is, it is, as I said before, it's the biggest show that's ever been on Netflix. That's like their flagship show right now. It's come just about coming out with its fourth season and it has a, a special place in my heart because back in 2016 when my wife was pregnant with our first daughter uh, in over the summer, this show was just coming out and she like couldn't sleep at night and I've always been a night owl. So we were, we would frequently stay up till like two or three or four a.m. and it was over the summer and I was a teacher so I didn't have to wake up early anyway before we had kids um, and so we binged Stranger Things like late into the night over the course of three or four days and it was like a week before she gave birth and so and then uh, season two came out next year and season three came out right before my my son was born in 2019 and so uh, I feel like this show is just it always brings up uh, good memories for me and my wife watching the show uh, so I've always liked it and in season three uh, some minor spoilers uh there's this scene where they're in the mall the kids are in the mall and they're looking for russians and they see you and they're like oh that guy's totally a russian spy and you're walking through and then you turn out to be this jazzercise instructor and you got like this pink tank talk on and you're like doing these hip thrusts and they're like oh maybe he's not a russian but then later you turn out to actually be a russian <laughs> so Anyway, it was just, I, and then I found out, oh, this guy, Kaiser Johnson, he's, he's Catholic and he, and he writes. And um, so I've been following you for a little while. And I, I knew when season four came out, I was like, all right, I got to reach out to this guy. So I reached out and you got back to me and uh, here we are. So I'm really happy about that. So um, what do you uh, like about this show, Stranger Things? I mean, uh, I, I think I had a similar experience to you and, uh, and your wife of uh, just seeing the first episode in, in the week it came out in 2016. And then I, I was like, uh, I just, I, I guess I'm not doing anything the next couple of nights. Cause <laughs> this is, this is what we're doing. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I just, just went from that first moment where like the light flickers and goes out and Will's gone. And then, uh, and, and then boom, 
those you know those chords come on of mm-hmm. uh, the, the music and it's like oh my gosh what's happening um mm-hmm. the and, music is so good yeah. yeah um and so i i it was my my favorite show and um and i i loved just the the characters that friendship uh that's right at the at the core of it you know um obviously so you know i was um i i grew up not with a lot of uh friends mm-hmm. <laughs> and stuff and um uh, i mean i still don't have like a lot of friends i have a mm-hmm. couple of close friends but um uh but now i'm married so friends don't matter as much um, <laughs> but uh it was it was something where it, it really resonated for me of of um again that yeah this this deep friendship and these kids who are kind of uh, on the outside of of that and they're okay with it but also they um they are searching for belonging and 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 that kind of thing and and that uh you know really felt true to me and i think it feels true to a lot of people i think that's one of the big reasons that stranger things is so successful is not just how uh fun the world of the, the mm-hmm. this stylized 80s it um is and how fun the homages that the uh, the Duffer brothers are always paying to all these uh kind of cultural touchstones of the 80s and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. but um but this this um this aspect of friendship and love right at the at the center of this uh you know you've got this uh, a mother's love and then these friends love for each other and then um how all of that is is complicated by um just growing up and yeah um so yeah, yeah. I love I love a, a few of the things that you said are also things that I love. I love kind of the the '80s tableau. It's kind of like a love letter to the '80s, and you can go on YouTube yeah. and like look for all the '80s references and Stranger Things, and it's like crazy things I've never even heard of. But it was like lots of ET references, lots of Goonies references, Jaws references. It's it's really cool. The music, as you said, I really love. Um, I like yeah. that. It, I'm not a huge fan of scary stuff, uh, but mm-hmm. this this show it like has enough humanity right. and heart. I feel like a lot of horror stuff, the characters are just kind of fodder, you know, they're just, they're just fodder for the monster to kill, you know, right. but right. these characters really grab you and that's the heart and soul of the show. And then it's yeah. not, it's not so scary and bloody that, you know, I, I'm, like I said, I'm not really into horror and that sort of thing, but this right. show just, I really like it. Um, and as you said, I think my favorite thing about it is just the characters. The acting is so good. The relationships between them are so good. So um, that's where I think we're going to spend most of our time today is talking about these relationships. So just a quick rundown of who's in the show. There's the, there's the four main friends, Mike, Will, Lucas, and Dustin. Um, Will is the one that ends up kind of the one in trouble, he ends up kind of possessed by the upside down and the, the, there's different incarnations of this parallel universe. And the season one's like the Demogorgon and season two, it's the Demogorgon dogs and season three, it's the mind flare, but they're all, they all seem to be going after will in one way or another. And, um, and then in the later seasons, we get, uh, we get Max, Maxine, um, who ends up in a relationship with Lucas. Uh, and then we get 11, of course, who's this orphan superpower girl, um, who ends up in a relationship with Mike. And then there's kind of the, the, the second tier is the teenagers where you get Nancy, who's uh, 
Will's not Will's older brother, Mike's older brother or older Mike's older sister. And you get Steve, kind of the cool guy, boyfriend. Uh, you get Jonathan, who's Will's older brother. Uh, you get Billy, who's Max's older uh, brother. You get Robin, the girl at the ice cream shop, and then you get Erica, Lucas's uh, little sister. And so there's just these yeah. great. And then the third tier, I would say, are the adults, and the two mm-hmm. main are Joyce Byers, uh, Will's mom, and Jim Hopper, uh, who's the local detective. Who I think he's he's uh, his family is really in the show but he lost a daughter and then um yeah. a few years ago and then, so i think his wife and him are not together anymore right. um but there's there's something for everybody there's something for the kids there's something for the teenagers there's something for the adults and i, I feel that's another strength of the show is it just it hits all these different dynamics between brothers and sisters uh friends and friends uh boyfriends and girlfriends uh adults and kids adults and adults it's got all these different dynamics going on and they're they're just really well done in the midst of all this eighties horror stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So I, there's uh, a very, being very much a trope of the, of eighties movies. There's like the nerds and then the cool kids. And so yeah. I wanted to talk, you said you, you didn't have a whole lot of friends growing up. I think, um, I, I, I kind of was a nerd when I was younger. When I got to the end of high school, I was a little more popular. Um, and I feel like I've, you know, I feel like everybody, no matter how popular you were, you've, so everyone's had that experience of feeling like a nerd. So I want to talk about um, the experience of nerds, maybe for anyone out there who's felt like a nerd, which is probably most people. So um, I, so were you a nerd? Would you say that you were a, a nerdy kid? Yeah, well, yeah, I st- still am. Um, and <laughs> the, um, the, you know, it's, it's funny because – so I remember I was in a, a, a sketch comedy show for a while in uh, – it was a live sketch comedy show in Los Angeles. And mm-hmm. – um, uh, after one of our, you know, I'd been doing it for, I'd done six or seven episodes or something and, and, um, uh, shows, I guess. And, and a couple of the writers came up to me and, um, one of them was like, okay, so Kaiser explain this to us. So you don't look like someone who was stuffed in a lot of lockers. In high school. <laughs> um, so tell us how you got to be funny. And, uh, and I was like, oh, well, I was, uh, I was homeschooled and they're like, oh, okay. That, that, is, that <laughs> like, explains it. There it is. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So I, uh, yeah, I, like I said, didn't have a lot of friends and, and, um, and definitely, um, you know, something that like, like I still find fun is like, uh, you know, and it's probably not something I should be, again, socially acceptable to be doing is like, Oh, let me, I can name all the presidents in order. Do you want to hear them? And, you know, (laughs) stuff like that and, uh-huh. uh, oh give me a, just say it say a country in the world i'll tell you it's capital it's oh. a fun party trick and it's like that's not a party trick that's a that's a really nerdy thing that you do and um most people don't really care about it so <laughs> so, so i think i think this this is kind of gets into like what is what kind of makes a person a nerd is the first yeah. thing we were talking about before is not feeling like they fit in not feeling yeah. like one of the cool kids but the second thing is what you were just talking about is a love of something that not everybody else loves. And I actually think like that is so admirable about nerds. And it's something that, um, you know, in myself and as I'm growing up and maturing, like learning that, like, just because other people don't like something, like I can still like that thing. And just because Mm -hmm. other people like something doesn't mean I have to like that thing. I can have unpopular opinions. And I think, uh, you know, it's a temptation for me to be a people pleaser, to want to fit in, to not, not rock the boat. I think it's a temptation for a lot of people. But one thing I really admire about nerds is that like, you know what? 
I love Pokemon and I don't care if you do. I love, I want to I know these random things about the presidents. And I think there's something really holy in that is that we're supposed to delight in the goodness and the beauty and the truth that we see in the world, right? Like that's, that's a virtue to see something good that is a reflection of God in some way and delight in it and be like, look how awesome this is and geeking out about it. And that's something, that's a way I want to be nerdier, right? <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I, I, I love stuff like that. I love, I love getting into things and just appreciating them because they're beautiful and not, what anybody else thinks. And I think there's a real freedom in that. And there can even be a real mysticism in that where you do kind of, it is kind of just like, it's me and God thing, you know, like this is a good thing. And even though nobody else knows about this book or nobody else knows about this hobby or nobody else is into this thing, it's like an experience of beauty and goodness that I can kind of dwell in and delight in. Um, so I think there is a, there's a real mysticism to being a nerd that can be really holy. So, um, yeah, yeah. Well, and I, th- I think there's there's an aspect too, and um, I I would almost draw a a um, uh, like a, a distinction between people who are <laughs> this is and this is going to sound super uh, like arrogant, but like there are like true nerds, and then there are people who are like now it's trendy to be a nerd, so now I'm going <laughs> to be a, a nerd too, and so I'm going to get excited about it. like there is the nerd who um, is an evangelist for the thing that they they love. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's because they have a true love of that thing. Yeah. Um, and then there's, there's the nerd who is threatened by other people actually liking the things that they, that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not to, to bash on, on hipsters and stuff again, but this idea that, you know, uh, that, um, you are, that as something becomes more accepted and more people like something, the, the less you must love it because, mm. um, because it's now it's mainstream or it's, you know, it's, it's something like that. And um, they don't love it. I liked it first, you know? And, Mm -hmm. and uh, I think for a a nerd, like what a wonderful thing that is. If you're into Pokemon and everyone was into Pokemon, Mm -hmm. like if you really like Pokemon, how great is that that you can talk about Pokemon with anyone? You can, Mm -hmm. you know, yes. uh, Play Pokemon with anyone. Um, I'm not into Pokemon, so I don't, I don't know. Yeah, me neither, but yeah. You can use that as an example, Mm -hmm. but, um, but if you are, uh, yeah, if, if you are, um, upset about more people loving it, um, that tells you it's not a true love in the first place. I think. Yes. So. Yes. I, I totally agree. Like, uh, in, in my life, I was into Lord of the Rings and I'd read it like three times before the movies had ever come out. Cause my dad was into it and my brothers were into it. And it was kind of like a, a rite of passage when you got into middle school and high school that our dad like took the trilogy of Lord of the Rings and like gave it to you and was like, it's time <laughs> you can read this. And so I was already way into Tolkien and the fact that now everybody's into Tolkien and there's video games and there's new shows coming out. We'll probably do an episode on at some point in this show. Like, like, I'm like, this is great. I can talk about Tolkien with everybody. Um, but there, there are some people who, when, when something becomes cool, they're like, oh, I was into it before it was cool. But I kind of like the hipster mentality, as yeah. you were saying. Now it's, now it's too current. And, uh, you know, uh, so I, I think there's something interesting going on there is I think with being a nerd, we feel excluded because deep in our hearts, in every heart, there is a desire to be loved, right? There's a desire to be known. And, when you, when you feel excluded or you feel like you don't love the same things that other people love or you feel like you're on the outs, like you're, you're really missing that, that full acceptance. That can only come from God, right? We can get mm-hmm. it only fully from God in the fullness of heaven and the resurrection, but we can get it in some small ways through healthy relationships in this life. And that's what our heart is really yearning for. But there's also a part of our heart 
that wants to be ourselves, that wants to be our true identity, that wants to be different and wants to stand out and still be accepted for that. And so I think the nerd is in this interesting place of wanting that validation, wanting that love and affirmation, but also recognizing like, like the, there's something in this that, that is, that is, that's different about me. And I like that it's different about me. Um, so anyway, I think, I think there's, there's two key things that I yeah. can, I can learn from the nerd and I can learn from the nerdy parts of myself is to, you know, when I'm feeling left out, like really I'm looking for love and validation, mostly right. from, mostly from God. Like that's the only thing that's ever going to really satisfy me. I can get it through these, uh, in some ways through these other healthy relationships, but then also like those things that are different about me, like those can be real points of, of a healthy sort of pride and self-confidence and like gratitude that God has put this in me. So I, I think mm -hmm. there's, there, there's kind of this tension between wanting to be long and wanting to be different. And, um, that's the beautiful thing about, Christianity is, uh, and, and the vision of the, of, of heaven and the resurrection is we don't, in this unity, we don't lose our identity. I think right. CS, CS Lewis talks about like the unity of hell is a unity as a uniformity and the, mm. and sinners end up looking a lot the same, but the variety mm. of the saints is beautiful. And there's mm -hmm. a unity in heaven without that doesn't like squash the, the diversity of the individual personalities. So anyway, that's kind of right. what that makes me think. Yeah. Of, yeah. So. It's, um, you, yeah, you don't lose yourself to become one with God. Yes. And, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Um, another, so my, my older brother, Dave, uh, <laughs> he's kind of the nerd of the family. I mean, we're all pretty nerdy. I've, I'm one of three brothers, but um, if you ask my family, like I'm, I'm kind of the outgoing one. I'm kind of the quote unquote popular one. I have a ton of friends. I just, <laughs> I just like mixing and mingling. Like some people hate small talk. I love small talk. I love like getting to go and talk to people. Um, my brother, Dave, he has always had like three friends. Like in middle school, he had three friends. In high school, he had four or five friends. He got to college, immediately like became friends with this tight group. They're still friends to this day, even though he graduated college a long time ago and they like still get together. And me, I'm like always trying to make new friends with new people and just, we're very different. Um, but there's some ways in which I envy him because there's a depth to those relationships. Um, and not that I don't have deep friendships, but um, I think there's a wisdom in investing in a few friendships and not always trying to get everybody to like you like I do most of the time. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. Do you, do you, uh, tell, tell me about your friendships. What are your, uh, who, who are your friends? Well, that, I, mean, I think I, I'm much more, you, Dave was your brother's name? Yeah. Uh-huh. And yeah, I'm much more like, like, uh, like him in, in a sense of, of like, I don't, I, I, don't dislike people or anything mm -hmm. like that. I, um, but I, and I have, I have a fair amount of friend acquaintances um, and, uh, and buddies and stuff like that. But um, I, I think, you know, my circle of actual friends is, is, is very small. It's, you know, it's two or three people, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, and uh, well, maybe it's a little bit of that. All right. Mm -hmm. But anyway, um, the, you know, and, and those are, are people with, you know, I think, um, to harken back to C.S. Lewis, you know, and he talks about the the four loves of, of that um, that sense of the of uh, philia and uh, say, yeah, uh, philios philia and, and agape, where um, you know that to me those friendships that, that mean the most to me is, are ones where um, it's two people standing side by side facing the same direction. Mm. Um, 
you know, and uh, where we're, we both have um, goals that we share and that's something that is, has uh, bonded us. And so we can talk about anything. We can, uh, we're uh, vulnerable with each other. We're, um, because we know that in the end, we, we want the same things and, um, we need the other person's, um, perspective and, and, um, and, and help, you know, um, um, a threefold cord is not easily broken. And so, mm. you know, having, um, close people by your side who want the best for you. And it also happens to align with, um, what they want for themselves. And so you, you're on a journey together. And I think that that's, those are. I have a very select few of, of those, those friendships, but, um, they mean a lot to me and, um, uh, yeah. So that's, 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 that's really beautiful. Um, that, that quote that you said, it's like two, two people facing the same direction, something like that. Yes. What'd you say? Yeah. 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 It was, uh, it, that it's, it's a friendship of, of two people standing side by side facing the same direction. Mm. I think, so I think, um, Bishop Barron has a great YouTube video on this, uh, about, uh, Aristotle's perspective on friendship. And I think this is where that idea comes from and it's been adopted into yeah. Christianity because it works so well with like, of course, what are we looking towards? What's that third thing that we love yeah. is of course Christ. Um, and, uh, you know, he talks about it also in terms of, uh, Bishop Barron also talks about it in terms of marriage. There's this, uh, this old marriage prep book called three to get married. Just this idea yeah. that in a marriage, like God is really in there and it's, it's two of you working together in this cooperative effort. And mysteriously that brings you more closer together than if you were just focused on each other. Um, yeah, well, um, my old, um, spiritual director and mm -hmm. uh, confessor, um, he talked about, he said, you know, for the last 150 years, we've looked at marriage as the romantic ideal, mm -hmm. um, where it's like two people whose love for each other in the sense of um, erotic love, of, mm -hmm. of eros, of this. Um, but actually, even our understanding of eros is is pretty uh, tainted. And it's, it's fascinating to read The Four Loves by C.S. Lewis and see, oh, this you know, erotic love is such a deeper thing than what we, we treat it as. Um, yes. But um, that, uh, that that's what we've focused on we thought marriages is two people love each other so much. They just have to get married, you know? And, mm -hmm. and he said for, um, for the, the entirety of the rest of the, you know, uh, understanding the institution of, of marriage in, in Judeo Christian tradition, it's been looked at as the heroic ideal. Mm -hmm. um, two people who are um, not, who are, as, as Chesterton would say, are incompatible. Um, they, they build you know, this, this bridge and this life together through heroic striving to be the best that they can be for the other person and to draw the best out of the other person. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think in, in large ways, like that's, and that's why, you know, I think that, that's what a true friendship is, is, is drawing the best out of a, uh, out of another person as you, um, strive together. Yes. Amen. Amen. Love it. Love it. All right. So let's talk. I was going to talk about cool kids next. We talked about nerds. I was going to talk about cool kids, but now we're talking about love. So I think we've got to talk about love because uh, in the show, uh, you know, in, in seasons two and three, there start to be all these romances. I guess with, there's some in, in season one with Steve and Nancy, but, um, you know, Mike and Eleven uh, start dating and uh, Lucas and Max start dating. And there's so there's there's all this young love and, and Mike and Eleven are just like hilariously gross and they're just like always making out yeah. and and uh, I don't know. Did, did you date a lot growing up? No. 
Yeah. All right. So that's that's <laughs> probably wise. I, I was I, my my listeners are used to hearing my stories, and I would say I probably dated too much. Um, <laughs> yes, and, and I just the the scenes of 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 Mike and Eleven, and where they're they're just making out, and they're just like, I have somebody I can kiss whenever I want to. Like this is awesome, and they're just like so gross about it. I was just like, yeah. oh, man, it's yeah, that was that's a little too close to home <laughs> for me. I'm not like I'm not like bragging. I'm not like glorifying it or anything. I'm just saying like. <laughs> Um, anyway, but, uh, so let's, you know, you're, you're married and you have, how many kids do you have? Uh, two and one on the way. Two. Congratulations. That's awesome. I have two as well. And, um, so let's, as, as a little bit older, uh, guys, let's give our younger listeners, uh, some, some dating, uh, advice. Do you, do you have any dating advice you would give to your younger self? Well, you know, um, yeah, I guess it's it's weird because it's twofold, and it's, it almost it's it runs into that wonderful uh, paradox uh, theme that is so um, uh, endemic to um, Christianity. I think it is um, at uh, I would say um, I wish the advice that I'd given myself earlier was date more um, and but let let the dating period of any relationship be very short. And, mm-hmm. um, in the sense of like, um, I found, so, uh, I went through and you, you can read all about it in my, in my book. <laughs> <laughs> um, I went, you know, I, I, again, did not date much at all. And then, um, uh, I, you know, had a wedding in the Catholic church and stuff. And it was, uh, it was a real, it was, it was not a real marriage. And, um, uh, so we went through a, you know, it was a really tough few years and mm-hmm. then, um, separated and, and, uh, uh, submitted a, a case for the church to look at it as if, if there was uh, grounds for an annulment and mm-hmm. the church found, found that. And, um, that was a long, like year and a half process from <clears throat> separation to, to annulment. And, um, uh, but it was one of the more, important and transformative kind of experiences of my life was going through that and, and having it take all this time and, um, not being free in that, in that time. Uh, and, um, and it's, it, and it totally changed my perspective on, um, love and on what I should be looking for in, in relationship. And it showed me who I was in relationship wow. and where I was broken and needed to, to change. And, um, and stuff like that. And so it was a really profound experience. And so if there's anyone who's in, in a, uh, an irregular situation, as far as marriage goes, I encourage you to go through the normal process. It can be really valuable. Anyway. Wow. No, thank Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And just, just to pause, yeah. um, I yeah. think in, you know, the, those of us in ministry, I've been in ministry most of my professional life. Um, you know, we always try to give people the vision of like, this is what like the thriving Christian life looks like. This is, this is why you should be all in for Jesus. And this is like the beauty of, of what I found and I hope you can find. And that's an important part of like sharing the gospel. But I feel like sometimes um, when things don't go according to plan and they almost never right. go, you know, everyone's got some issues. Like nobody's life is perfect. Everybody's life hits a snag. Even, you know, Christ doesn't offer us like a, like a perfect, um, you know, drama free life. I feel like, yeah. especially my friends who have, um, been separated, uh, gotten annulments, been divorced. A lot of times they feel like they're just all alone in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, they just feel like they're, they're, 
like castigated, you know, like, can I even go back to church? You know, if, mm-hmm. if I've done this, you know, how do I start dating again? Is anybody going to want to date me if I've been through this? And so just my, uh, so listeners, if there are any of you out there who, um, you, you've gotten an annulment, you've been divorced, you've been separated, um, just know that, know that my heart is with you. And, um, you know, I, I hope, I, I, I hope that if there's any lack of love for you that you found, if you've ever found a lack of love from the church after those experiences, um, that you wouldn't let it drive a wedge between you and God. Um, and just know that there, there are people who, who you're still part of the body of Christ. You're still part of the church. Um, you know, and, and, uh, if there are people that are not treating you right, I'm, you know, just on behalf of the church in what small way I can, I'm sorry for that. Um, cause I, I've, I've seen that pain and I know that it, it is really painful. So thank you for sharing that. I'm, I know that's a lot of people's story. So, yeah, well, and, and it can be in, uh, two people who are maybe divorced and, and, or divorced and remarried or, or, you know, and, and something like that and have not gone through the annulment process. Um, it can, I, I understand it can be scary because you're, there's a, and it was for me too, it, it, this, this idea of you're taking this and you're saying, you're, you're not saying I, you don't have a final say in the decision. Um, mm-hmm. it, but there's something freeing in that too, in, in going, um, I am, I am willing to be open and willing to be vulnerable and I'm willing to take a really hard look at myself and see, um, what, you know, who, who am I in relationship? And I, and obviously, you know, our, the, my situation was not one where there was abuse or, you know, um, or stuff like that where, mm-hmm. um, but the, even in all of it, um, there's, there's this, opportunity to learn better what it means to love if you give yourself that opportunity in, mm-hmm. in the annulment process. And um, there's a, a point where at, at the near the very end of the annulment process, when all the testimony had been collected and stuff like that, um, they give you an opportunity to read the testimony of everybody that you've called as a witness, everybody that the other person has called as a witness, and your own statements again, and you know your former partner's statements again. Um, and I, I went in and I, I went down to the archdiocesan offices in Los Angeles, and I, I sat down for three hours and read through all the, all the stuff. And, wow. and, um, the, uh, and yeah, it was, I mean, it's painful. It's not fun, but, um, and I asked, but it was super important to just see like what people saw from the outside, what we saw from, what I saw from the inside, what the other person unfiltered kind of, you know, felt mm-hmm. and, and to go, th- and I asked the, the, uh, the nun who, who ran the, the, that program there. And I said, like, how, do most people do this and come in? And she said, no, less than 10%, maybe one out of 10 people wow. comes in and, and reads the, the testimony. And, um, to me, it was something that was, it was invaluable to, um, to kind of start that process of, of, um, moving forward. Yeah. Um, and in that post, so post annulment, mm-hmm. um, I dated, I dated a lot more where mm-hmm. I would, take a girl out on a date. And to me, it was like, like in, in, especially I think in the Christian world, Catholic world, we can put a lot of pressure on dates yeah. and, you know, just like, Oh, someone asked me, a guy asked me out. I, I, I'm, I'm, this is, he wants to marry me. I'm, I'm sure of it. And, you know, or a, a guy being like, well, I can't ask her out cause I don't know that I want to marry her, you know? And, <laughs> and stuff like that. And it's like, no, no, a date is like, Hmm, I find you interesting. Mm-hmm. I wonder if I would find you interesting in a one, one-on-one setting where, yeah. you know, and, and, um, and that kind of thing. So I think it's very important to do a lot more dating 
Um, I also think it's very important to not muddy up a date or two with um, lots of physical stuff and mm. um, and these ideas of like forever um, things, you know, so, so being true both in, in our intentions and what we say of going like, hey, I would like to get to know you better and uh, I would love to take you out for dinner, you know, something like that. that mm-hmm. That's a true statement. I, my purpose here is to get to know you better um, and, and that kind of thing. And that we also speak truth with our bodies mm-hmm. and, and use that in, in, to, to the appropriate level that we're at um, where, you know, um, we don't spend date one or two, you know, making out and, and, and getting physical is like, cause that's, you know, if I'm just trying to get to know you better, mm-hmm. it's not really helping me. me yeah. So I, I love, I love that idea of speaking truth with, with the relationship and with your body. And, uh, I, I think that comes from, uh, the teachings of the theology, of the body, John Paul II, who was our Pope yeah. two popes ago. And from that. yeah, for yeah sure. it's, it's, it's just a, it's a really beautiful way. I remember um, my friends, uh, Dan and Kelly in, in high school, not in high school, in college, they were giving a, like a, like a college kind of chastity talk. They were dating at the time. And this was one of the ideas they expressed. And it's always been kind of like a, a guiding light for me ever since when I'm thinking about like, how far is too far? What's appropriate for this relationship is like, does this speak truth? Okay. On a first right. date, you reach over, over and grab the girl's hand. Okay. If the date's going well, like that could be appropriate. That could be a true statement of affection for that level. Okay. Mm-hmm. But like to have sex on a first date, like you're binding your genetic code together. Like you're, you're not being honest about the level of the relationship. Okay. Yeah. There's like body fluids and chemicals going off. You're going to like, you're going to remember that person forever unless, unless you're like yeah. high on drugs or something like, like that, that is a dishonest act. And yeah. until you have committed actually, uh, with instead, you know, I'm going to give myself to you, you know, freely, totally, completely. I'm open to children with you, um, to engage in that act, which is going to physically bond you and maybe create a child is, is somehow dishonest. I've heard it called it's, it's somehow a a schizophrenic act almost. It's saying one thing with your body and another thing in actuality. And uh, my, my students, whenever we were talking about this in in, in class, they'd always be like, well, Mr. Tenney, what if you know you're with the person you're going to marry? One, I would say like, you haven't actually committed to that person. Even if you have, even if you know, uh, you haven't actually committed. And the other thing I said is, you know how many girls I thought were the one before I actually got married? Every yeah. single one. Every girl right. I ever dated, at some point, yeah. I was like, oh, she's the one. You know, in, in a moment of passion, you know, when you got all the feels going, like you can really easily convince yourself, you know, especially if you put yourself in kind of a compromised situation, you know, no, maybe nobody else is home. Maybe you're watching Stranger right. Things in the basement with the lights off, you know, <laughs> and it's really easy to convince yourself in that moment. Oh, well, we're going to be together forever. So like, why not? But you, it's still, yeah. it's still not being honest, right? Right. Um, and so uh, I, I think that's a really good guiding light. Actually, uh, on my YouTube channel, on this YouTube channel, I actually did a uh, Mr. Tenney's, uh, this was for my students back in the day, but uh, I did a Mr. Tenney's Four Rules for Not Going Too Far. So uh, if you're interested in that, listeners, you can go check out my YouTube channel uh, under the playlist under Ask Mr. T. There's a How Far Is Too Far. I give you four rules for not going too far, which I always found helpful. Um, I want to go back for a second to 
um, what you were saying about annulments. Just, first of all, thank you again for sharing that. Um, I didn't know we were going to go there. You never know where the show is going to go, but thank you, thank you for going there. Um, and thank you for being vulnerable because I think it really will help some people. But I think uh, a friend of mine, she told me this once. I think it's easy in the Catholic Church. You know, there's there's so much hierarchy. There's so much administration. There's so many rules. There, there's like so much in canon law and doctrine and so forth. It's easy to see the Catholic Church as kind of like this cold, calculating bureaucratic structure. You know what I mean? Yeah. And annulments, I know, can feel that way. And marriages, I know, can feel that way. Well, you can't get married outside and you have to get, you know, have to go through six months of this. You have to go to pre-canon. Like, it can seem like there's just a lot of rules. And uh, yeah. my friend, what she said to me one time is she says, anytime you're struggling with a rule from the church, remember that its foundation is in love and that its purpose is in love. There's a reason the church is asking you to do this. And when I, I think about your story and what you were sharing about, you know, this process was hard and I had to go through it, but like, it, it sounds like it really, it really helped you. It was really good. And, and you had that spirit. You had that um, mindset of not just like, all right, I got to check the boxes and jump through the hoops. But like, this seems like a real, a real kind of way of the cross for you that you were, you were submitting your, your, yourself to this and humbling yourself and, and really trying to do the spiritual work. And I think the story that you shared is really beautiful in that it, it shows us that, you know, these rules of the church that the church has, they're really meant to guide us in love. And, yeah. um, anyway, so I just, I just wanted to say that and, and thank you again for sharing that. Cause it's, uh, it, it's, it's a story that not a lot of, not a lot of people hear, but it's happening a lot in our churches. So, yeah, it, it is. Yeah. You. It, um, yeah, I mean, it, by and large, I think in in at least the American Catholic world, um, the statistics for divorce are almost the same as as they are in in um, the culture at large. And so mm -hmm. it's it's something where where being ministered to, like it, it divorced Catholics are are a demographic that is desperately in need of ministry. Mm -hmm. um, and and but in 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 a ministry that. Um, you know, we get too much into that. I, I think um, that idea of the the only two options are condemn or or affirm, mm -hmm. and uh, it, it, with like everything that we do in life, and you know, um, you and I think when it comes to uh, this, you know, we see that there there are are people who are like, let's, um, you know, we, we've got to just. You know, no, the divorced people have no place in, in the in the gathering. You know, like what you're talking about, or at least if that's not what they actually think, that's certainly how they act. That's the message them. that comes across, yeah. And that's that's uh -huh. what what you know, someone who is who who is divorced then you know feels. Uh -huh. um, and then on the other side, you go if people who go, look, this whole annulment thing is 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 messed up. Let's just let's just get get rid of it, and and you know, let's just everybody is is welcome. Let's just everybody just come on in and be, yeah, be you. Do, do, it's just it's just Catholic know? divorce anyway. What's the real difference, right? right? You know, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think it does a huge disservice to people uh, as far as um, this opportunity to to grow so much closer to to God. Um, again, this is something I mentioned in in my book, but um, I. I, I'm someone who generally, if people talk about like mystical experiences and stuff like that and visions or whatever, I'll be like, okay, sure, okay. <laughs> take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. Let's just hear it. Go ahead. Fine. Whatever. Um, but you know, I, I, in, in my whole life, I think I've had two mystical experiences mm -hmm. and both of them were during this 
this that that time of mm-hmm. of going through um, the annulment process, and and one of them was you know I was just. Um, it was so painful, you know, not just the divorce was, was awful. The separation was awful. The, uh, and the annulment, uh, you know, reckoning with that and reckoning with who, who I was and where I needed to change. And especially cause I, at first I was like, no, I'm good. I, I like, I did everything right. It's mm-hmm. there. All the problems were on, on her end. And that kind of thing. It's like, <laughs> clearly I'm not the one at fault. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, um, to reckon with how wrong I was about that, um, it was super painful. And, and, um, you know, I was going through that and, and I, I don't think I was praying as much as I was, you know, railing against God of like, why are you doing this to me? I've tried to do the right thing. I, I, and, um, and, and I tried so hard to do what you wanted and, and, you know, why did, why is it, why is it so awful? And, and mm-hmm. why is this so painful? And, um, and, and I, I had a vision of uh, seeing Christ with his cross and, and him just telling me um, that he was sharing his love with me in mm. that. Um, and that, and suddenly I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is an experience where I, I, I'm not suffering. Like Christ didn't come to suffer so that he could understand what suffering was mm-hmm. and suffering isn't just good in that I get stronger as I go through it or something like that. Mm-hmm. Suffering is, is good for me in that I, I, Christ is sharing the, one of the most intimate parts of his life with me in that, mm-hmm. in that I'm going, I'm being, I'm feeling rejected by, by my bride and I, I I'm seeing the crucifixion and, and, mm-hmm. and going, Oh yeah, I did that to you. Mm-hmm, I, yeah. I rejected you and Christ. Go, and 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 in that in that moment, going, but Christ is embracing His cross. He's embracing me even mm-hmm. as I'm crucifying Him mm-hmm. and going. I love you, and that's why I'm doing this for you. And that it doesn't just make my suffering go away. I'm like, oh well, it's it's nothing. I mm-hmm. oh I'll, I'll take the cross I came in with. Thank you, Christ. It's you know, uh, but but just going. This is an opportunity, if I will let it, to let my heart be crucified mm. and to show love for not only the person whose life I have shared um, for these last couple of years and, and who I didn't share well, um, but also to show love for um, so for the, the woman in the future who I will um, come to know and will come to, to be my bride, to change myself into the the man that I need to be so that, um, so that I can be, uh, present myself with someone who's, who's got the strength to, to carry a cross for her. Mm. So, <laughs> Man, it's, it, we're recording this during Holy week right now. This will come out until May when the first season, when the season four of stranger things comes out. But this, this is like the meditation I needed to hear during Holy week to like, get me ready. So, um, it reminded me of, uh, the, the speech that I, that I started this with. It's a letter from Jim yeah. Hopper to 11, his adopted daughter and about her growing up. And he's saying, I felt like I'm in this cave where I like don't have feelings, but he's saying like, when you hurt, when it hurts, life will hurt, but remember the hurt, the hurt is good. Cause it means you're out of the cave. It means you're, you're like experiencing life. And I, I think kind of the Christian spin on it, which you just articulated beautifully is that there's something in the hurt 
which helps us, helps not Christ to understand us, but helps us to understand Christ and to, to come to him with humility, even in our rage, even in our misunderstanding to being like, what the F God, I thought I yeah. was doing things. I'm doing the best I can here. I'm trying my best, or at least I'm trying to try my best. And like, why, why are things terrible? And right. Jesus's response, as you said, is not, I'm going to make it go all go away. Jesus's response is I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's still a yoke. But yeah. my, I am with you and you can unite your cross to mine and I'm going to walk this with you. And you're going to, something about my heart, if, you, if you're open to it, something about my heart and my love for you is going to be revealed to you through this. And there yeah. is redemption. Like on the other side of the cross, there is resurrection. And we might yeah. not see all that in this life, but we'll see it in the next life. Right. And uh, I, anyway, so, so thank you for sharing that. And I think... Yeah. Um, yeah, I just I think you 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 were you you encapsulated the the Paschal mystery that we're celebrating right now during uh during Holy Week very well. So so thank you. All right, so we're, we're almost out of time, but we got We talked about the nerds. We talked about friends. We talked about uh, romance, and then we talked about annulment, which I didn't know we were going there, but that was great. So thank you for that. <laughs> and then we got to talk about the cool kids. Okay. Yeah. Um, so in the first season, Steve, uh, who is like the cool kid, but then turns out later not to be that cool. Like Robin in the last season is making fun of him for being a nerd. And he only has friends who are like younger than him. Okay. And then you yeah. have the new cool kid in town, Billy. Um, and then you have Nancy in the first season who's not cool, but is trying to be cool and mm -hmm. kind of leaves behind her friend Barb because she's trying to be cool. Um, so anyway, I, I wanted to talk about um, the cool kids and um, why do we always try? I mean, I mean, I did. I don't know if you did, but so many of us are always trying to be cool and popular and liked. Like, why is that so alluring to us? Like, what do you what do you think? <clears throat> I mean, I, I I think it comes down to something that we talked about right in the in the first part of of you know we we are looking for love mm. and we're willing to settle for acceptance. Ooh, okay. Um, and, um, and, and it seems that if, um, if people accept us, um, or better yet, if people think we're cool, then, then what that, you know, means is that, is that somehow how we're loved and, um, and if we're adored, then we're, we're loved, you know, mm -hmm. um, I, I've, I've been listening to, um, uh, Rob Lowe's, uh, recent book called stories. I only tell my friends and, um, <laughs> He talks in there about uh, how he, you know, kind of became this like, you know, teenage idol when he was, he had a, a brush of it when he was 15 years old. And then, uh, a, and then more when he was uh, 18 and, you know, uh, did the outsiders and, and um, that kind of thing. But um, when he was 15, this idea that, you know, like nobody at his, like he was not popular in school and like, um, but he had girls his age who, you know, he just wanted the attention of people his age at his school. Um, and he had, you know, girls running after him and chasing after him and, and, uh, you know, trying to, you know, tear his hair out and stuff like that. Um, and he was like this, this thought that he had it, as he, as that was happening was you wouldn't, if you really knew me, you wouldn't think I was cool. Mm. Uh, because the people at his school knew him and didn't think he was cool. And, yeah. and, um, and I think that that's something that we struggle with, um, the, the, the disconnect between when we're honest with ourselves about who we are and um, what we think the, the people around us or the world wants from us. Mm. Um, 
I think most of us end up feeling not cool and wishing that we did, that we, we could be either what people think of us or, or we have a disconnect there and we go, I wish I could be, I I wish other people would think better of me, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? Um, Yeah. Because I feel like I've got off this stuff to offer, you know, Uh, this, this world and this life and, and to know, and I think that that comes from like, part of us knows that we are created by God out of love um, for a great work. Mm-hmm. And that, um, and that there's a, a, a hollowness to what the world will ever recognize out of that. And, yes. and some of it can, can be more interesting into us, you know, of, of like, if we're, if there's adulation and there's, there's obsession and, or, or if we're one of the cool kids, but inside we know that, you know, whether I'm a nerd or a cool kid, the way that people see me and the way that the world sees me is hollow compared to what God has put in me. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So uh, what this is making me think of is uh, going back to Aristotle. So Aristotle and Plato, and then later on Augustine and Aquinas in the church um, taught that the the soul was kind of broken into these three parts. There's like the appetites, which is like your desires for like food and safety and sex, like your basic physical desires for, for security and all those sorts of things. Then there's what they call your, your, your passions or your spirit, depending on how you translate it, which is like your desire for relationship and respect and honor. And then there's the rational part of your soul, which seeks the truth and goodness and beauty. Um, and, uh, what they say is that the life of happiness, like a life of thriving, and I think the Greek word is eudaimonia, it's not, they can't be the life of satisfying the appetites. They call that the life of gratification because if you just gratify your appetites, gratify your appetites, every base desire you have you go after, pretty sure you become a slave to them and you become addicted. So that can't be the path to happiness. If you go after the life of honor where where you are seeking the esteem and the honor and the relationship of everybody, then uh, one, <laughs> quality over quantity, like how many lonely famous people are there? A ton, right. right? And two, like public opinion changes so fast. Like just what happens to see if he's cool, then he's not. Um, like your happiness is so precarious and it depends on the opinions of other people. So it's that's not true happiness either. He says the only true happiness can be when you're seeking the true, the good, and the beautiful through the rational part of your soul. And then Augustine Aquinas will take that and they say, well, that is God. God is the truth, the goodness, all goodness and all beauty. And we, we can come to know him and love him and be known and loved by him him um, a little bit in this life and fully in the next uh, through this life of prayer and charity um, in the sacraments. And so um, when I, when I see Steve go from number one, cool kid with the cool hair, you're getting whatever girl he wants. And then in the later seasons, he's just made fun of and beat up and, but he's got these really great relationships with like Lucas and, and, and the younger kids where he's really becoming this, this older brother. And he's so much happier, even though he's far less cool, you know? And so I think the advice for me that I would give to myself when I was younger is, is a quality over quantity of relationships. I remember in middle school, I'd had these, my same three best friends for like all of elementary school. Um, uh, Brian, Kevin, and Sean, and we were like super tight. We did everything together. And I became friends in middle school with one of the cool kids. And he invited me to come sit with him at lunch one day. And it was like all the pretty girls and the guys with the cool clothes. And so I started sitting with those people at lunch, even though I wasn't really friends with more than like one of them. And I stopped mm-hmm. sitting with my friends that I'd been friends with 
for, you know, since kindergarten and I was still friends with them, but I, I remember in eighth grade being like, I'm becoming cool. I'm becoming cool. I'm becoming cool. But like, I wasn't happier, <laughs> you know, yeah. like I spent most of the time thinking like, what do these people think about me? What do these people think about me? Yeah. And even as an adult, it's so tempting to, uh, you know, w- look online and, and, and see what my friends are posting on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and be like, man, they got such cool lives, man, their relationship with their significant other, or with their kids, or they get to travel. They have such cool jobs. They have this much money. They're doing cool things in their house. Like they the envy game is, is yeah. so insidious. Um, you know, the, that commandment to not covet what your neighbor has, but it's so insidious to like see what other people have and like want to have it so that other people can see you and then think you're cool and click that like button and you get that dopamine hit. But it's all so hollow, as you were saying, you used that word hollow before, like mm-hmm. there's so hollow and man, like how different would our lives be if we could just remember on a daily basis, like the Lord, only the Lord satisfies. Like the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I've been praying that Psalm every day during Lent. Cause I feel like I need to internalize this just like, and every time I, yeah. I get, I get one of those desires where I just like, I'm feeling unloved or feeling insecure, or whatever. I just, it's been a mantra to myself. It's like, I shall not want the Lord is enough. God, God's grace is sufficient, you know? Um, so anyway, yeah. All right. So um, I, feel, I feel like we haven't talked that much about Stranger Things, but man, did we go deep. <laughs> Just uh, dove, dove, We went straight into the upside down. Straight into the upside down. I like that. That's great. Yeah, we went way deep on that. All right. So um, I told my listeners at the beginning of this episode that we would leave them with some things that they could implement into their lives today for how to live the gospel, how to experience and live God's love. So if you had one takeaway from what we've talked about, uh, today for how to live the gospel today when we, when we shut off our phones and our, in our computers, what would it be? Well, um, I, one thing that, uh, that I have found, uh, actually the, the same confessor and spiritual director who uh, talked about uh, marriage and the ideals, uh, a, a penance that he would frequently give me is, um, to, and I think this dovetails really well into the idea of that this set of four friends at the center of stranger things is, Pick three friends um, or family members or that kind of, you know, pick three people important in your life and um, find a way to do an act of love for them today. Um, and uh, even if they're not near to you, if they're, you know, far away, find a way to do an act of love, love for them today. Um, because, and, and that's, there, that's it. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's great. That's very, very, very practical. So yeah. A yeah. lot of times I ask my guests that and they're kind of, it's not that practical. So I like that. It's simple. It's practical. You can do it. And yeah, I think that's, I think that's how you know a goal is good is like, you can definitely tell when you've done it. Like, you know, when you've done yeah. something nice for three people, if you're just like, I'm going to be more loving today. Like, how do you know right. at the end of it, if you've been more loving? So that's, that's really good. Yeah. Um, mine is going to be when you were talking about going through the hard times and seeing that as like, like that's an opportunity for a mystical experience. Like that's an opportunity to go deep in your relationship with God. And again, not that that makes it any easier necessarily. Not right. that that, I think it does make it somewhat easier. Like there's definitely a consolation of faith that goes along with it. But I think the reminder for me is that when there's something hard to try to have the perspective of the Lord is here with me, Jesus is here with me. He knows yeah. and he's present with me. And there's, some, there's a way that I can grow closer to his heart through this. There's a way that I can grow in love through this. So that's going to be my takeaway. Uh, listeners, we'd love to hear what your takeaway is. You can throw that in the comments um, if you want. 
uh, Kaiser, this has been awesome. We're going to close in prayer in a second. But before we do that, can you uh, tell us uh, just where, where can we find you? If people want to know more about Kaiser Johnson, where can they go? Um, yeah, best places are probably, um, well, the three places. So I, I have a website, kaiser-johnson.com, kaiser-johnson.com. There's a lumber company that already took it without that. So. <laughs> um, and, um, but, and, and otherwise on Twitter and Instagram, I'm just at Kaiser Johnson. Great. Um, and those are, those are good places. Awesome. Too. And I'll put all of those in the show notes. So listeners, if you want to check those out, you can check those out. Um, yeah. So uh, any, any cool things that you're doing right now that you need to tell people about? Your book just came out, right? Yeah. So how to be miserable and alone is out. And, uh, in that, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's, it's a, it's a true story about, uh, it's not a story about my life as much as it is. We, I break down, um, the 12 simple rules uh, of how to be miserable and alone. And <laughs> if you follow those as I have, you too can be miserable. And alone. Um, luckily I've also found that there are better rules, uh, for living a life that matters. Um, awesome. and, um, so yeah, we just kind of go through a bunch of different things that, and each chapter starts with a, a real quote from like a current magazine or, or blog or, you know, a influencer and that kind of thing. And then contrast it with a, a saint quote. And then we kind of look at the, the advice that we're getting uh, over the course of the, that and through personal anecdotes and stories about my life and career in LA and, and um, my experiences and uh, experiences of, of my friends who also, you know, live and work in, in, uh, and that kind of thing. So great. And then uh, you also have a book called grit and glory, which I uh, correct me if I'm wrong, yes. but it's about like, uh, you know, working out and fitness and healthy body, but also like to connecting to the spiritual it's, life. It's about yeah the spirituality of, of fitness. And, yeah. That's great. Um, uh, listeners, yes. if you're just listening and not watching Kaiser is like a really good looking fit buff guy. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Mike. You're welcome. Yeah, All right. So, um, um yeah, let, would you, uh, Kaiser, would you close us in prayer about all the things that we've been talking about today? Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, listeners, okay. listeners, viewers, wherever you are, as long as you're not driving, take a moment, close your eyes and uh, let's pray in the name of the father and the son, and the Holy spirit. Amen. Lord, thank you for giving us this day, this opportunity in countless opportunities in this day to love, um, to be a better friend, to be a better uh, partner, to be a better son or daughter, not just of our own parents, but, uh, to you, Lord, um, please give us the courage to embrace our crosses and follow you and to embrace them with the knowledge that you are embracing them with us and you're embracing us in that. Um, please give us the grace to love, to love as you love. In your name, amen. Amen. In the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Kaiser, thank you so much for taking time to speak with us today and to share so vulnerably about your story. I know there's a lot of people that are going to connect with your experiences and what you've gone to, through. So thank you so much for being with you. It was really a pleasure. Uh, it's really my pleasure too. So mm -hmm. thank you for having me. 
Awesome. Very good. Uh, so this is Pop Culture Catechism. We are one of the shows on Awaken Catholic. If you want to find out more, you can go to popculturecatechism.com. And if listeners, if you would like to support this show and help us out, the one way that you can really do that is by sharing this episode with somebody who you think would really connect with this. Maybe they're a fan of Stranger Things. Maybe it's somebody who's gone through some of the things that we talked about or just could benefit from this message. So there's somebody you know. Would you send it to them in a text or an email or something like that? We'd really appreciate it. And if you really like what you're doing and you want to help what we're doing and you want to help it reach more people, you can go to popculturecatechism.com and become a patron of this show. We have six tiers of giving where you can pick uh, a giving level that fits your monthly budget or your monthly tithe, and you can support all the work that goes on uh, through Awaken Catholic and all the shows like this one. And with each, with each giving level, you get certain bonuses and perks. Uh, there's exclusive content for each episode that only patrons get. So all my talks that I give in my speaking ministry are in there. I'm uploading new talks all the time. And also for every episode, there's exclusive content. So for this episode, um, as the uh, as season four of Stranger Things comes out, I'm going to give my little review and thoughts. Uh, that'll come out in May and July, but only if you're a patron. So uh, patrons, check that out on popculturecatechism.com. Also, please download the Awaken app. That's where uh, patrons get access to all the exclusive content, but it's also a free app for everyone. It's got a Catholic mu music library, got a Catholic prayer library. It's a great community of like-minded people, Catholics and Christians. Um, it's growing all the time and just a great place to avoid some of the toxicity that goes on on some other social media stuff. So if you haven't gotten the Awaken app, please download it. And uh, thank you for supporting our show and for listening. Uh, we'll see you next time. God loves you. A special thank you and shout out to all of our patrons who make this show possible, but especially Carl and Melissa Gore, Lisa and Bob Tenney, Stephen Maggie Hubbard, Rob Smith, and Tom and Emily Comberiati. Thank you so, 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 so much.